Greetings, this is Kurt. This is a continuation of the third and largest portion of Book One, Enchanter's Lot. If this is your first visit to the Harkin Theater, we recommend you step back and find the first episode of Prelude, The Hostage Prince. Otherwise, make yourself comfortable as we continue the performances. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and share on your favorite platform. Comments and questions directed to our email will be answered promptly. If you care to be a preferred audience member and help in keeping these complex productions coming, please buy me a coffee via the website coffee.com listed with the description of each episode. And thank you for listening. Who is responsible for that horrible sound? Speak up! Follow this maestro, just a little jam in me double horn. <laughs> Keep your jam in the double jar. Ready? Ready to lift the game! Step through the gateway and enter the universe of the Harkin Theater. This is Episode 2. The Harkin Theater presents the sound plays of A Bridge of Doom by Kurt Paul Hotelling. Book One, Part Three, Enchanter's Lot. Chapter Two. Just how far do we have to go? Rolf slipped past a large fallen boulder blocking the horizontal shaft. Let's stop for another rest. Cease your unending gripes. We will find a deal with this dragon today, or I'll burn your cursed pox-ridden hides myself. Close to half a day had gone past since the mage had taken Gaewan and his companions captive and headed for a secret destination where a dragon was supposed to be guarding a great treasure. Something Flaina thought... Sounds too much like a worn-out myth. Rare beasts protecting hidden treasures. In fact, Flaina found Calron's description of what he sought purposefully vague. As if the mage used the image of hidden riches as a lure for his associates. Though of what use other than amusement to wear rats and a simple young girl could serve, I can't guess. Calron bullied his associates constantly and displayed an open dislike for elves and dwarves, relegating Clough, Flaina, and Gon to the rear of the procession through the tunnels. 
At the same time, he focused most of his attention on Gaewan and Thazgar, expecting them, as men, to be the most viable components of his approach to the dragon while relying on the effects of his capture ball to keep all the bounty hunters under his complete control. It chilled Flaina to watch the enchanter move and function exactly as Calron commanded, a being with no apparent will of his own. Gunther's sexual infatuation with Flaina helped little. She was treated as nothing more than a half-breed whore in Calron's eyes. Clough and Flaina, meanwhile, waited for an opportunity to overpower Calron, both agreeing that their friends should be free of the Gaius before they took action. Their own discussions took place in random bits and pieces around corners in the dark tunnels or away from the torches when the opportunity was offered. Clough deduced Calron's dislike of elves was the reason for his ignorance of elfin immunity to most charm and control magic and alchemy, of which his capture ball was clearly derived. Empowered with this fact, Elf and half-elf kindled hope that the magic would weaken and wear off before they were thrust unwillingly into the dangerous confrontation awaiting them. During the long periods of relative quiet and solitude during the trek through puddled, rough-hewn tunnels and down crumbling shafts, Flaina wondered how Calron had managed to overpower Gawan. Enchanters are trained, or so I was taught in methods for resisting Gaius magic. Is there more to his capture ball than alchemy? Is he as powerful as Rolf and Gunther's begrudging respect make him appear? She had hoped that perhaps Gawan was also pretending to be under Calron's power, or was momentarily stunned, but these notions were shattered when earlier the Dark Mage tested the extent of his control somewhat gleefully, <laughs> well, stick your finger up your nose. I'm a tune. Hop on one foot. Kick your friend. The resounding laughter from the four miscreants was almost as bad as watching her chosen being so humiliated. Gay one would never tolerate such treatment willingly. More immediate concerns occupied Flaina, however. Gunther's unabashed lust for her coupled with his desire to murder Gawan. Forced to feign being controlled by Calron's Gaius, she tolerated Gunther's unwanted attentions that were inflicted upon her every time the group took a short rest. The shape-changer handled and touched her like so much meat as his eyes gleamed with barely controlled carnal lust. She remembered every violation and vowed he'll pay for each one. Whenever he could, Clough would foil Gunther by managing to stop very near or even between her and Gunther, as if purely by coincidence. This served to frustrate the shape-changer, and he approached Calron openly. Let me kill the elf now. He keeps getting in my way. Either that or, or make her do what I want. Now... Keep your filthy breeches laced, rat man. Is that all you can think about when I'm taking you to the greatest prize in the lost city? Uh, I'll be quick. You don't need him anyway. You've got the hopping Gawan to do your work for you. I'll be quicker if you interfere, Gunther, damn you. 
I need every single one of them as dragon fodder. Not your sack in your crotch, and do your job guarding them. You'll have worse than your dribbling lust to keep you occupied. Resentful, Gunther obeyed, but only barely, taking every opportunity to squeeze and pinch Flano when Kalwan wasn't watching. Torn between protecting herself from the shape-changer's rude advances, which kept Gunther occupied, or staying close to Gaewan in the event Gunther ignored Kalwan and knifed him anyway, she debated ending the pretension and knifing the weir-rat herself but didn't want to risk Calron's reprisal in such an event. Also, it was a known fact that common weapons cannot cause lasting damage to a were-being. Their wounds healing quickly due to a beneficial side effect of the disease that brought about their transformation, thus the general fear and loathing of the creatures. Therefore, attacking Gunther or Rolf with her dagger would only complicate matters and no doubt heighten the Weirat's desire to murder all of them. Taking mental stock of all the weapons at her disposal, she realized a remedy for the Shapechanger's immunity and worked on obtaining it surreptitiously. The unabated tension made the trek long and arduous. The way through the slimy and increasingly wet rock shafts wound deeper into the lost city's forgotten depths, the distance long and confusing. Clough and Flano wondered if they would ever find their way out again. Calron, I'm hungry. When can we go home? I want to go to bed. Just a few more moments and we'll take a nice long rest. He stopped at a large opening in the level corridor they followed. Ah, we have arrived. He grabbed a torch from Rolf's hand and dropped it into the hole. Down through there. Gaewan fell from sight, his boots cut on stone below. The others followed one by one. Clough and Flaina found themselves in a smoothly carved corridor, very different from the rest of the underground city. Ornately fashioned walls slanted down to a large charred rock jammed beneath a crumbling archway. The tilted floor was not quite steep enough for stairs, but not flat enough for a secure stance. The air was dry and musty and warmer than the wet shafts above. Dancing demons, the day of the dragon has come. He grabbed Gaewan's shoulder. <laughs> You could not have come at a more opportune time. <laughs> what better way to die than at the claws of a hungry serpent whilst I become the greatest mage ever known? What about us? Us? The mage's eyes narrowed into slits. Us will make sure our father walks ahead to its pathetic demise in the dragon's jaws. We'll be safe enough once I've unleashed this. In his pale fingers, he held aloft a larger silver ball than the one he had used on the bounty hunters. Distraction is the game. There's no way to kill this monster easily, if at all, and every way it can kill us. You still haven't told us what's in there aside from the dragon, Calron. Gunther hunched his shoulders moodily. Or how big is the dragon? And what kind of share we'll get? The mage met his sulky gaze steadily. More than your 
petty dreams of avarice can conjure Gunther. Calaron. Tisha pointed behind him where she saw Gaewan blink several times as if waking up. Calron's white-blue eyes glared in fury and disbelief. You stinking flea! He turned to grab his captive by the throat. At the same instant, Gaewan's eyes cleared. No one resists my power! Gathering his wits as quickly as he could. Fighting Calron's control, Gaius had required an enormous amount of concentration. He spun around with arms outstretched. Calron lost his balance, along with Thasgar and Gunther on the slanted tunnel floor. Everything happened at once. Rolf, now holding the rear, dropped his torch and kicked aside the other one on the floor as he tried to jump back up the shaft. He missed and fell to the floor. Bodies and flickering shadows mixed in a nightmare struggle. <sighs> Scrambling to his feet from beneath Calron, Gunther unsheathed his dirk and made to stab Gaewan. At the same time, Flaina leaped upon him and plunged her blade at his throat, but he spun out of the way. The enchanter snatched a particular stone from one of his pockets as he shuffled backward, intoned three words, blew into his fist, and smacked his hand with the now glowing pebble on Thasgar's back, then gone. Calron got on all fours. You're dead, Gaewan. Gunther, kill him! Now! Gone, affected immediately by Gaewan's counterspell, but still disoriented, swung his battle axe at the first thing he saw. Calron got the blow amid a standing up, and again fell face down. Thasgar came out of the spell at Gaewan's touch and managed to stagger between Clough and Gunther, who had faced off with blades drawn. He challenged Rolf, who raised his hands in surrender. Flaina tried to go to Gaewan's side, but was shoved with surprising strength against the wall by Tisha. Her wind knocked out of her, she could only blink in astonishment at the diminutive girl. You hurt my lover! No, I hurt him! Gaewan grabbed Tisha by the shoulder and threw her sprawling to the floor further down the cord. Are you all right? Flaina nodded mutely and looked over at where Gunther was pinned against the wall by Clough. From where he held down Rolf with his foot, Thasgar shouted, Gaewan! The girl! The enchanter turned his head in time to see Tisha leaping at him with her arms stretched before her, her hands clawing. Her form blurred in midair. An angry were-tiger slammed into him, flattening him against the floor. Tisha's altar shape ripped and clawed with powerful limbs through Gaewan's leather canvasu. Clough kicked Gunther's feet out from under him, then turned and lunged forth to drive his sword into the tiger's back. The cat reared, then in a blur of gold and black stripes, shifted form back to Tisha. Blood flowed from an ugly gash in her backside. She faced the elf, her expression one of agony and shock. Warily, Clough kept his weapon between them, the blade gleaming in the fitful torchlight. Everyone stopped and waited for Tisha's next move. Gaewan lay beneath and between her legs, moaning. Staring fearfully at Clough's sword, it had done to her what no weapon ever had before. Tisha wavered, trapped between killing and being killed. Making a decision, she yanked a dagger from her belt and plunged it into the enchanter. 
Elena's dagger found its mark in Tisha's neck. With wide eyes, the little girl faltered in mid-stroke and dropped her blade. Gripping her throat in agony, she vomited blood, then fell dead next to where Gawan had rolled onto his side out of her way. Remembering Gunther, Clough looked over to see Gon hovering over the fallen shape-changer, his battle-axe poised over the man's neck. Where's Calrod? Clough grabbed one of the fallen torches and looked at where the mage had last been knocked down. The only sign of him was a trail in the dust that led away from the fight and in the opposite direction of the stone-blocked archway where he had been leading them. The mage had crawled away in the middle of the confusion, his escape covered by the inadequate light and twisting shadows. He's gone. Should we go after him? The elf walked a few paces up the incline and stared through the upper archway into what looked to be an endless tunnel with fresh footprints in the thick layer of dust. The Stygian darkness stared back at him from beyond the shifting light of his torch. He turned and came back down to the others. Never follow an angry bear into its lair. We don't know what lies in that direction, and he does. Aye. Flaina attended to Galen, laying him on his back and carefully opening the shreds of his gambeson to inspect the wound. As for you ugly rat sacks... Clough held his sword's edge against Gunther's throat. The shape-changer trembled with fear at what he had seen. Clough's sword had fatally wounded Tisha, and Flaina's dagger had killed her. These weapons were rare the stuff of powerful magics, rendering ineffective his immunity to wounds from them. Don't. His pale eyes flicked between the gleaming edge and Clough's grim expression. After all the effortless killing he had done, begging for mercy was a new experience. Don't kill me, please. And why not? We would merely be removing a malignant lump or two from the buttocks of the world. Gon leveled his axe above Gunther's groin. I hate shape changers. Let me cut his sack off. A were-rat had slaughtered his cousin when he was young. Wait, Gon. The elf eyed Gunther under him and then Rolf under Thasgar's boot. Tis true they aren't worth the dullest blade that might finish them, but... He smiled warmly at both of them. Rolf returned it cautiously... I think they would gladly help us figure out what Calron was after, in exchange for their miserable lives. You mean to make us dragon food now? You're no better than Calron. If so, then we're all one happy family, aren't we? And if you don't like it... Gon nudged Gunther's crotch with his axe. You lose your sacks right now. He found satisfaction in the horror that overcame the shape-changer's face. Am I still groggy from that spell, or did I hear you correctly? Thasgar asked with a raised eyebrow. You want to continue after we've just run off Calron? Yes. We never heard his plan, so we don't know what he was after. Precisely why we should investigate. And this treasure, or whatever, is guarded by a dragon? Another reason to investigate. Clough's <coughs> right. Flaina tried to shush him as she tended his wounds, but he waved her off. Thasgar shook his head. Then I am addled. Look at it from a thief's point of view. 
What would be of more value? The lone wagon with one man reining his horse, or the iron-reinforced wagon drawn by a team of horses and surrounded by armed fighters? Being a former deputy of the marshals, Thasgar scowled at the conjectural question. <sighs> if I was a robber and I had men equal to the task, I'd strike the iron wagon, of course. Calron considered us as suitable additions to his plan for this task. I'll wager it was more than something of simple trading value, no matter what he promised his cohorts. The archer nodded his understanding. What do you think? A poor man seeks riches. A poor mage seeks power. Precisely. Gaewan allowed Flaina to lay him flat again so she could continue dressing his wounds. You're wrong. Gunther sat up slowly from where Gon guarded him closely. The dwarf pressed his axe's blade against the were-rat's neck. What makes you so smart, eh? Gunther winced at the edge, almost cutting into his skin. He was after White Sapphire, that's all. He was always toying with a small one. Is that all? I think you're guessing. I know more than you, tree frog. Gon shoved him back to the floor. Let me carve his tongue out. Heartless elf, you just want us dead. Clough turned his back on them. Thasgar, Gon, you may kill them both now. All right. Wait, wait, please. We will help you as long as we get a share of the treasure. Clough turned back slowly. If there is any treasure, very well. Your death sentences are suspended for the moment. He gazed at them coldly. But one wrong move and you are dead. Just like Tisha. The two men looked appropriately subdued, but Clough noticed the dangerous glint in Gunther's eye and knew he would have to be alert for trouble. Watch them close. Thasgar and Gon nodded in return as Clough went to Gawan's side. Flaina was removing some rags with which she had wiped away blood. The enchanter's head was turned as he took a clumsy swig from a water skin. How is he? She scowled with uncertainty. Well, for someone who just lost a fight with a large cat, he's doing well. Clough frowned at the gory slashes in his friend's chest. Any broken ribs? Not sure. She looked at Gaewan. Does it hurt to breathe? No. It just hurts to bleed. Clough smiled grimly. If he can jest, he will be fine. And if this wound festers... He'll be in trouble. Flaina finished bandaging. Then we must find our way out of here soon. I can forage for herbs that will help prevent complications. So that's why he had Tisha around, a were-tiger. She looked like such a little girl. It's always difficult to guess a shape-changer's age until they're very old. She must have been infected when she was young. I thought she looked a bit jealous of me. Despite her own beauty... Flaina glanced at the crumpled body that had been Tisha and couldn't help feeling a pang of remorse at having been forced Mm. to kill her. Tis that same beauty that probably got her into trouble in the first place. Shape-changers are notorious for seducing their prey, thus spreading their disease. Right, Gunther? That's a myth spread by jealous outsiders. A convenience for you, no doubt. 
The more educated folk across the ocean in Cresden, huddling in their big city, think you are a myth. Fortunately, mages and enchanters know better. He grimaced with pain as he tried to stand up and failed. You shouldn't move so soon. Nonsense. He grabbed their shoulders and pulled himself up. Rolf and Gunther, nor Calron, wherever he may have hidden, must not be made aware of Tisha's success in hurting me. Speak no more of my wounds. He patted the empty hilt at his waist. Where's my dagger? I borrowed it. Hmm. She bent over and extracted the blade sticking through the dead girl's neck and wiped it clean. Rolf and Gunther watched in horrified fascination. I expected I would have to teach Gunther a permanent lesson while you were under Calron's spell. I knew that only Clough's sword or your matching dagger would have any real effect on a were-being. Excellent forethought, love. Gawan was glad to see her solemn expression soften at his compliment. Shall we sniff out this dragon's lair, if that's what it truly is? He was so suddenly confident that for an instant Flana was almost fooled into forgetting his wounds. He perched his hands on his hips and gazed at the blackened boulder blocking the carved archway at the base of the slanted corridor. How do you suppose Calron got through that? Though he found it difficult to believe a creature as powerful and immense as a dragon could be found trapped in such a deep grotto, the burn marks around the edges of the stone attested to something being kept out, or in. The stone appeared to be jammed in the archway from the other side. Gawan approached the blocked portal and touched his fingers to the stone's edges, then inspected the fine soot that speckled his fingers. Hmm... Definitely the result of fire. This doesn't look like it'll be easy. We don't know how long it's been since that stone was burned. Let's find out, shall we? The enchanter glanced back at the direction Calron had run. We can always retreat and follow him. Aye, but I'd rather not. Then forward we go. Gawan gestured for Rolf and Gunther to get up. You two will shove the stone for us. The two ragged young men jumped to their feet, both glad to get some distance between their necks and the blades. They glanced mutely at each other, then moved down the incline to the charred rock. At a signal from the enchanter, both torches were snuffed. The utter blackness of a tomb descended instantly on the group. As their eyes adjusted, however, a dim glow appeared among them. Gawan. His sword was limbed with a faint bluish-green light. Though he had spent much time learning about the powers of this inheritance from his grandfather, he had not had enough practical experience to satisfy his own questions about it. He knew enough to understand the unearthly glimmer of the blade, warned of powerful magics, or some other unknown mystical force nearby. The enchanter glanced at the sword, then looked back at the archway and sought something that would be visible only to eyes that could see. He found the scratches with their ethereal shimmer along the edge of the stone where it rubbed the sides of the archway. There's a mage's mark here, probably Calron's. Of course. Yes, but who shoved the rock for him that time, if anyone did? And if there was someone, what happened to them? Wonderful. Maybe all of us are supposed to be dragon food. Open it, boys. 
Rolf and Gunther threw themselves against the stone and shoved. <coughs> Nothing happened. Why don't you put some effort into it? Or are were-beings not as strong as you want us to believe? He couldn't see more than their outlines in the near-total darkness, but he knew they were scowling hatred at him. They delved into their altar form's preternatural strength. Gawon was glad for the darkness. He didn't relish the thought of seeing two man-sized rats forcing a giant rock. Vague, reddish light leaked in around the stone. It's big enough to get through sideways. Rolf slipped in before anyone could tell them otherwise. I'll go through first. Clough wanted to prevent any possibility of an ambush by the two were-rats. He knew their repulsion of his sword would keep them at bay. He quickly discovered his worries were unfounded as he sidled around the rock and came up behind the two men standing and staring with amazement. The stone they had just moved was puny compared to the immensity of the cavern. As the others came through, someone whispered, By the gods. The grotto stretched away in all directions with only the curvature of the stalactite dome overhead giving clues as to where the walls hid in the shadows. On the far side was a giant silhouette laying on a bed of glowing pale red crystals, the only illumination in the cave. The serpent was apparently asleep. Look at what's under it. Gems. They look a bit too hot for the taking. The cavern was noticeably warmer than the corridor they just came from, probably due to the heat of those crystals. And there's something on top of them to stop you. Gawan noted the relatively fresh smell of the air compared to the tunnels and shafts through which they had wandered over the past few days. There would have to be a source of fresh air, else the creature would smother itself. There had to be a shaft or an opening somewhere, which meant a quick way out for them, hopefully. So what do we do now? Carry through with Calron's approach to the problem. The enchanter held aloft the large silver ball Calron had shown off earlier. I picked this off of him when Gon knocked him down the second time. Will it work, do you think? Calron thought so. And how will you get close enough to it? I don't intend on being fodder like that bastard planned. He couldn't do what I can do. Gawan smiled. Just wait here. He clasped his cloak and shimmered to invisibility. As she heard him start to walk across the craggy floor, Flaina opened her mouth to protest, not wanting him to face the danger alone, but she held her voice as his soft footsteps faded into the distance. What else is there for us to do? She squeezed the grip of her bow anxiously. Not forgetting Calron somewhere far to their rear in the tunnels, Clough tapped Rolf and Gunther with his blade and gestured them to the stone they had moved. Block the door. We don't want any surprises. He noted with interest how obedient the two shape changers were when in close proximity to his sword. The two men quietly shoved the rock back in place. The others watched the cavern while they wandered about and waited for whatever might happen next. Meanwhile, Gawan picked his way carefully across the cavern floor, trying very hard not to crunch gravel or stumble as he slowly dodged the stalagmites in his path. 
A head of the quiescent form had not shown any signs of awareness to his presence, its slow breathing the only other sound in the immense grotto. Something so large and able to sleep on hot crystals had to be, must be, a dragon, thought Gawain. As he approached stealthily, the creature got larger and larger. So did the knot in his stomach. Uncertainty eroded away his confidence of a few moments earlier. He had never before seen a dragon, except on rare occasion, when they appeared as small specks with wings in the skies far away. This thing was huge. Seeking distraction from his apprehension, his memory touched briefly on his encounter with the demigod, Paul, and he wondered at the impossible circumstance of being unknown lengths underground stalking a dragon in its lair. He decided he preferred risking a doorman's wrath for sneaking into a royal ball and stealing food as opposed to risking a dragon's wrath for intruding into its space. But the alternative, Calron and his nefarious plans, was considerably worse. Disgusted with how badly the bounty hunt had gone, no captured outlaw, therefore no reward money with which to purchase sustenance, and days lost wandering around this filthy hole in the ground. He wondered if what Calron sought here might have trading value, though he doubted it. As Clough had so astutely pointed out, mages sought power. As for himself, Gawan had little or no interest in things of magic, his training in that of the Path of Enchant, though perhaps some of the glowing crystals jutting up from the cavern floor under the dragon would be worth something. His main interest at this point was preventing Calron from gaining whatever would make him more of a threat. He had murdered before, and would no doubt murder again. And Gawan didn't relish the idea of the mage seeking him out for revenge, something he hadn't thought about before until now. No wonder no one else had attempted to find Calron. It was one thing to have a highway robber angry at you. Daggers in the dark of night were easily avoided. It was something else entirely to have a powerful mage out for your blood. Spells and such were very difficult to detect, like poison, until after they had been cast, and usually by then it was too late. By allowing Calron to escape, Gawan had inadvertently sealed his fate and started a path from which there was no withdrawal. He had no doubts the mage would seek vengeance for his spoiled plans and dead lover, Tisha. The enchanter stopped in his tracks and stared with reluctant surrender at the giant creature looming ahead. There was no way out of this next action. No turning back. Damn. Frustrated with this realization of his lack of foresight and the enormity of his new burden, he wanted to beat his fist on his leg, but his chest wound started throbbing with pain as the shock wore off. He grimly accepted that as suitable penance. Well, there's nothing for it now except to proceed. Letting go the frustration as best he could, he took Calron's capture ball out of his pocket, weighed it in his palm, and moved onward. Aware of the irony of this thought, he hoped the mage's preparation was as effective on the dragon as his self-confidence relayed. 
The small sphere felt more and more insignificant in his hand. As he moved so near to the creature, he could feel and smell its hot, acrid breath puffing around him. Coupled with the receding numbness of shock, Gaewan was stunned by the dragon's immensity. The cavern's tremendous size dwarfed its occupant when viewed from the entrance. The fulcrum over its mighty hind legs was greater than three men's arm spans. Its length was easily more than forty paces, though any sort of accuracy was difficult in the dim light. He felt as a mouse might when facing a lion. Suddenly, all he could do was stand and stare in fright. Eyelids unshuttered, giant triangular lamps burning dark gold as the dragon raised its massive flared head. Its long, bristling neck and fanning mane unfurled. In the space of two heartbeats, the sleeping serpent had awakened and now glared down at the invisible enchanter. His mouth open in shock, Gawan watched the dragon open its armored maw far above him like a snake coiled to strike. It drew in air for its deadly breath attack. Jolted by an instinct for self-preservation, he remembered the capture ball gripped in his now sweaty hand. With all his strength, he slammed the ball at his feet and turned to run for his life. A surprisingly thick pillar of smoke billowed up from where the ball exploded. The dragon's head and forelegs became engulfed in the spattering fog that reached to the ceiling and dissipated outward like a misty mushroom. Stopped by a stalagmite behind him, Gawan was forced to watch and listen and was amazed as the serpent's grunts and hisses subsided. Its immense body slowed, then stopped in mid-motion. He discovered he had been more frightened than he wanted to admit, but the inevitability of his situation had driven him to face it. And he had won. For the moment, anyway, he amended. Only Calron knew how long his concoction would last. Behind him came whoops of joy from Rolf and Gunther as everyone hurried to join him. He unclasped his cloak, remembering he was still invisible to them, though he was disturbed that the dragon had apparently been able to see him. Or perhaps it had reacted more to its other senses, like a dog would follow its nose. The two shape-changers appeared at his side, pointing gleefully at the motionless serpent, happy with their escape from being its dinner. Gawan supposed by its size none of them could have served for more than a snack, but a handful of slaves intent on distraction would have kept it occupied for a few moments. He, on the other hand, found himself engrossed in his study of each and every contour and shape of the dragon, having never before seen one in the flesh. He had always harbored a distinct loathing of snakes and reptiles, but this creature was neither, its mailed hide different in texture. The bright scales mutely reflected the glow of the crystals, and where a snake would have twisted and writhed, the dragon had moved more like a cat, sudden, calculating, and precise. Though motionless, its large eyes regarded him not with savage fury, but with brooding intelligence. Its body was long and serpentine, the long portion between its front and hind legs curled behind it, its fins flared for attack. Neatly folded along both sides were long, pale, translucent wings. No doubt the wingspan, when unfurled, matched its length. A creature of the air.
It's beautiful. He suddenly regretted what he had been forced to do. Despite the obvious fact, he would have been killed instantly if he had done nothing. <laughs> Irritated with the ribald amusement Rolf and Gunther found in the dragon's forced rigidity, he glared sideways at them and wished them mute. Go on, Rolf Yankin Tail. <laughs> Rolf, Gunther, stand back and keep a watch around us. We don't know if there are dragonlings near. Yes, your elfness. Rolf saluted playfully after pinching Gunther's buttocks. <coughs> he didn't notice Thasgar sneering quietly and following him with a blade drawn. <coughs> Seeing Rolf under the archer's eye and Gunther looking things over with Gawan, Clough decided to take a quick walk around the entire bed of hot stone to see what else there might be and disappeared behind the serpent. Gon tapped experimentally with hammer and chisel on some of the crystals further out from the dragon's hot bed. Beryl and corundum. It's white sapphire, like he said. This can't be all that he was after. Gawan gazed into the dragon's gold eyes, gleaming intelligence back at him. He wouldn't have needed fodder, as he called us, if all he wanted was jewels in the rough. You're right. Gunther stepped past the enchanter and jumped up onto the glowing crystals and then on one of the serpent's forelegs, catching his balance on the lower portion of its neck. What are you doing? Beating Calron and you to the prize! Gawan tried to follow, but there was room for only one where Gunther had gone. The spread of sharp, hot crystals and rigid dragon's feet posing a difficult obstacle if he was to protect himself and hold a dominant position. Gunther reached up into the shadow of the upper curve in the dragon's neck, his skin glistening with sweat in the heat rising from the crystals. Following his reach, Gawan saw it. A coarse chunk of crystalline stone, of a size to fit one hand, hanging from a rude chain made of iron around the dragon's neck like a thin collar. Stop! He would have thrown an enchantment at him, but did not want to harm the dragon in the process. Gunther jumped up to grab the crystal on the chain. His hands grasped it for an instant, then slipped off. He dropped back onto the serpent's foreleg and peered at Gawan with a sardonic grin. You'll have to kill me to stop me, and you can't reach me. I don't have to kill you. Gawan raised his hand, the ciphers for a spell glowing readily in his mind. At the same time, the others became aware of what was happening around the dimly illuminated serpent. Flaina, having not been more than a few paces away from the enchanter, notched an arrow and drew aim on Gunther's throat. I know I can't kill him with the shaft, but I can certainly distract him. Gunther hissed at them with a long tongue, his fingers growing large rat's claws, and, gripping the edges of its scales, he clambered up and around the serpent's neck, shielding himself from attack. You can't reach me here unless you want to climb, Gawan. He fumbled with the hand-sized links in the iron chain, then started wrenching one apart with his weir strength. God damned rat! Gawan was not sure what to do. An arm grabbed him from behind and tugged him back hard in a stranglehold. Curse not your new master. You will serve us now, Enchanter, or I will kill you. Jerking suddenly, Rolf's grip on the Enchanter loosened. Gawan shrugged his arms off 
and turned to see Thasgar standing behind the shape changer, his dagger stained with fresh blood. Rolf slumped to the ground and writhed in pain. Clough stepped up and quickly ran him through. With blood bubbling out of his mouth, Rolf gagged once with his eyes bugging out, then went completely limp. Thanks. Thasgar wiped his blade. I could only stick him with this. Clough nodded, then glanced at Gawan. What's Gunther up to? No good. The heavy iron chain slithered around the dragon's neck and dropped to the hot crystal bed below. Mine! It's mine! He held the crude gem over his head as he found a purchase for his feet on the dragon's back. Rolf! I've got it! He stopped and looked at the still form on the ground behind Gawan. Rolf is dead. Gunther stared at his dead friend as he lowered the stone. You... You killed Rolf? His eyes flared with renewed hatred at Gawan as he lifted the gem again. You killed him? You will share his fate. By the power of this relic shall you all meet death. Flaina's arrow found its mark in Gunther's neck. He grabbed at the feathered shaft. At the same instant, the cavern floor shook suddenly, and Gunther, already wobbling from the unexpected attack, was thrown. Flailing his arms, he dropped the crystal and fell after it, landing hard amongst the glowing sharp points of gemstone, jutting up before the motionless ground. Realizing a new predicament was upon them just as the former one had been diverted, Gawan stepped to where Clough and Thasgar looked at a moving wall. What is it? Bound to be trouble. The ruddy light of fire appeared through the yawning entrance. A large form stepped in. A mountain man! Equal to over three normal men in height, the giant held a large flaming brand in one hand and a sack in the other. He stomped eagerly across the cavern floor toward the motionless dragon. Here, kitty, kitty. He shook his sack to make its contents rattle. Why hasn't he seen us? His eyes are up there, and we're down here in the shadows. Aye, but we're not that small. He'll see us when his kitty doesn't move. I can fix that for a moment. Take positions. He touched his fingers to his brow and invoked a spell. As the others went to confront the mountain man halfway, they saw the air shimmer around the dragon, and suddenly it was sleeping as when they had first intruded. Kitty hungry? The giant wiggled the sack again, oblivious of the small people skirting his light and moving quietly toward him. He lifted the brand higher to expand his light and grinned toothily at his pet. The smell of fresh fish emanated from the dangling sack. Clough glanced back to see the dragon open golden eyes and lift its head, its mouth opening much like it had when it attacked Gawan, presumably a serpent's grin of greeting. The elf was decidedly impressed with the breath of Gawan's illusion while at the same time he was concerned. At that size and sophistication, the spell was no doubt a terrific strain to maintain, both physically and mentally. It also interested him that the mountain man spoke in the vulgar tongue, very unusual as the giants tended to be very stupid and brutal. 
Dropping the sack at his feet in a bed of glowing crystal, the mountain man reached up to stroke his pet, weaving its head back and forth. But his hand passed through it. The moving serpent faded from sight to be replaced by the motionless one. Clough and Thasgar chose that moment to charge, Flaina and Gon in their wake. Still standing beside the dragon, Gawain clapped his hands to his head painfully, uncaring of the giant glaring with consternation at him. Stunned at the transformation of his pet and the appearance of smaller two legs, the mountain man made no move to defend himself and just stood with his mouth hanging open. When Clough and Thasgar slammed their weapons against his hips, he swung his rude torch at them. Four hounds as large as ponies and bearing fierce yellow fangs leaped through the opening in the wall and rushed to their master's aid. Coming out of his headache, Gawan's vision cleared enough to see their worsening predicament. If it had been only the mountain man, he could have handled him. But the four hounds made the situation impossible. With those vicious teeth, they would tear all of them apart like rabbits. Unless... He looked down at the unconscious Gunther crumpled beside the dragon's foot and the crystal sitting nearby. Acting on a hunch, he bent over to pick up the stone, then hesitated. What would be the consequences for using this relic, a talisman of which a dark mage thought suitable for use? The new dangers resolved the question for him. Turning the stone between his hands, seeking some understanding of its shape and purpose, he turned to survey the fight and channeled energy for a protective spell. Suddenly, a surge of force blasted through his mind, numbing his self-awareness. Instead of the cavern and the fight, all he saw was a round hole through which thin, wiry hands reached for him. Reacting instinctively, Gawain repelled the consciousness assailing his own with all the remaining mental energy he could muster. But the expansive illusion he had invoked over the dragon had weakened him, and he felt the world spin away. The cavern floor slammed against everyone. Stopping as quickly as it started, the roar of the gods left the cave shrouded in utter darkness. Bridge of Doom, Part 3, Enchanter's Lot. The sound plays were written, recorded, directed, mastered, and produced by Kurt Paul Hotelling. Copyright 2022. Character voices for Episode 2 are performed by Kevin Norris, Richard Hammer, Darcy Aridel Hotelling, Adam Woodard, Mary Celeste, and H, the Great and Powerful. The novel is available through Amazon.com or on Kindle Books or can be purchased directly and at best price with additional bonuses from the author by submitting a request to our email. Music for the Harkin Theater was composed and performed by Evan McDonald, Florian Serral, Francesco D'Andrea, Atlas Mason, High Street Music of London, and licensed by premiumbeat.com. Public domain music performances are licensed under Lieber Lieber Creative Commons. 
More detailed music and performer credits can be requested from the Harkin Theater at yahoo.com. Sound effects and original foley provided by Cusp Studios and the BBC Library. This was recorded on location in the universe.